0: Hi everybody, I'm Rick Nelson and welcome to PSYCOP Talks Winter Ops, the podcast devoted to all things winter maintenance. There are several groups out there conducting winter maintenance research, and one of the missions of PSYCOP is to promote research that's relevant to our member states and the winter maintenance community. On this episode of Psychop Talks Winter Ops, we're going to spend some time with Jim Sullivan from the University of Vermont Transportation Research Center discussing a project he recently completed for Clear Roads. For anyone who's been involved in winter maintenance for a state DOT, you've probably experienced a winter event that's resulted in a state of emergency declaration. And as you know, when that happens, your routine winter maintenance operations usually have to adjust as more players come to the table to address the emergency. This study, titled Emergency Operations Methodology for Extreme Winter Storm Events, looks at just those situations and identified some best practices to help DOTs in these situations. For more information about Clear Roads and this project, head over to the Clear Roads website at www.clearroads.org. Now let's listen in as SciCup talks Winter Ops with Jim Sullivan. Hi Jim and uh, welcome to SciCup Talks Winter Ops. Thank you. Thank you
1: for having me uh, on.
0: You know, um, what, there's, there's several groups out there that um, deal with winter maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, there's PSYCOP, you yeah. know, um, my group. And, and there's uh, the Aurora Group that deals a lot with instrumentation and yeah. ARWIS and stuff. And, and there's also this the Clear Roads Group. And Clear Roads is a pretty robust organization. There's, you know, 30-plus states uh, contribute to that pool fund. And, and one of the things they do is, is a, an awful lot of practical research. And uh, I think that's where you got connected up with the Clear Roads folks. You've you've done some research for them, and and that's what we want to talk about on this podcast is a project that that you just completed.
1: Yeah, the Vermont uh, Agency of Transportation has been a member of Clear Roads for years, and um, through our working relationship with the operations and maintenance folks at, in Vermont, uh, they hooked us into um, what the what the program, what the Clear Roads program is, and and how it operates, and. Um, we have a strong interest in in research related to snow and ice so uh so yeah we we've gotten involved i think we've done uh five or six projects now under the clear rose program over the past six or seven years so it's been a great relationship
0: yeah now this this project that you all just finished uh deals with the emergency operations and and the methodology in extreme events you know and like we were talking before it's it's kind of like when there's the event, mm-hmm. you know a lot of state DOTS. I mean, they just know what to do, right? Mm-hmm. It starts to snow and they start doing their thing. But at, at some point, you reach this this level where the switch gets thrown and now the state EOC is engaged and and you know the whole ICS thing comes into play and and now the the state is just one of one of the members of this big team like addressing the storm. And I think that's kind of what. This project was about for you, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you you make a good point that, you know, when there is an emergency, uh, an emergency winter or severe winter storm, um, at the point we, we decide that it's an emergency, our DOT operations folks, they're already out there. And they're dealing with what previously had been, let's say, a non-emergency event, you know. So they're already out there. And for them, it is, in some ways, just an escalation of what they've been um working on you know w- since the storm started uh, but then there is yeah there's another level that it gets to and what we realized early on was that um some of the states acknowledge this and others i think it's just implicit but it's really about when they get to a point where their resources are starting to get overwhelmed they're not able to hit their performance targets they're not able to keep the roads clear um, because the intensity is just getting to be too much. and so there does have to be another level where other agencies get involved and possibly um, they seek help from from uh, from other um, maintenance organizations.
0: Yeah or or maybe what happens is they get that help whether they've uh, seeked it or not, right?
1: Yeah, and one of the things you know that we were trying to push uh, one of the one of the elements to a good emergency operations plan for severe winter weather that we that we uncovered was um, to have those agreements in place um, and to have have a structure for how you're going to ask for help, who you're going to ask for help from, or you know even as simple as in some of the uh, in in some of the midwestern states like South Dakota. Um, those states are large enough that it's really a matter of bringing resources from one part of the state to another part of the state that's getting hit. Because often one part of the state is getting hit and another part is not getting hit quite as bad. So, but you got to have those plans in place. That was one of the things. Otherwise, yeah, like you said, you've got resources coming and going, and you, and and you could have too much of something or too little of something else, and it's not as coordinated as it could be.
0: Yeah. So this was kind of. Um Different than like the traditional research kind I'm of project, it. yeah. right? It's yeah. like there's not a lot of research out there on.
1: <clears throat> there's not a lot of research out there, and uh, we. <clears throat> it was an interview based, uh, sort of case study based approach, which. Um, You know, at the, at our, at the UVM Transportation Research Center, we haven't done a ton of that. Um, but, um, we were excited to do it because we've started to develop a relationship with all these different, uh, folks at Clear Roads and various operations and maintenance folks at some of our snowbelt states. And so it's always great to interact with these folks. It's not like researcher to researcher. It's, it's as researchers, we're talking to people that are, you know, boots on the ground, which we really enjoy. Um, so, yeah, we had to take this this uh, this approach that wasn't about, you know, sitting at a computer crunching numbers. It was interview-based, and um, it was very exciting. We, had, we uncovered a lot of stuff that, you know, you had to be prepared to uncover something that you didn't think, you, you kind of think you know the way it's going to end up, and then throughout the interview process,
0: it goes a different way, and, and that was interesting. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting, the, the, this one, because all of the actors aren't in your own shop, Right. It's like when Correct. when you talk about extreme events, when a state EOC gets activated, um, that you know the DOT is just one cog in in. I think they're uh, ESF one out of fifteen, yeah. or sixteen yeah, something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah. And um, so, did that give you any kind of challenges? Uh,
1: well, that was one of the big one of the big things that we uncovered,
0: and the interviews
1: helped us uncover this. Um, Was that there are you know these these emergency operations centers within the DOTS, which are different from what what I would call our statewide emergency operations centers. Um, The emergency operations folks within the DOTS tended to come from two very different directions to that position. They either came from state emergency operations, so they were the type of people that might work for a state's Department of Emergency Management and Homeland Security, or they came from operations and maintenance within the state. And um, interestingly, some of those folks, many of those folks, have a background in something like, say, volunteer fire protection or something like that. So, So it was interesting to see that there were these people who had been doing snow and ice control for years. And also on the side had been, you know, had that mindset of emergency response, and they've dovetailed nicely into those positions. Alternately, there were folks that had done emergency operations, but had never done any DOT um, operations and maintenance work and came over and brought that emergency operations mindset. And the two mindsets are pretty different. Mm-hmm. That was that was pretty interesting to find, and um, and so that was one of the things that just started to come up and and be uncovered as we talked to, you know, folks with those different backgrounds.
0: Yeah. How how did you like reach into the state EOC thing? Was that were they were they kind of you know uh held things kind of close to the vest you know it was like who is this guy coming in here to find out what's going the, on with us or-
1: well one of the one of the big differences we found was in the attitudes and and it's good that you bring that up because the when we tried to contact the statewide EOCs directly we didn't get much of a response which is why I was fortunate that we tended to find some of those folks within the DOTs emergency office or office of emergency management who had that background yes folks with a background in emergency management tend to not they tend to be much more suspicious yeah whereas um the folks in operations and maintenance are much more matter of fact about hey you want to know what we do yeah here's what we do
0: yeah well the whole homeland security thing is is it's kind of yeah it's it's overarching it's it's overarching for emergency management
1: folks and i think um so they're a little harder to connect to, but um, but we did manage a couple of interviews with folks who are now technically within the DOT um, of their state, but their background is in their their statewide um, office of emergency management. Mm-hmm. So
0: you know what? So let's let's talk talk a little bit about. You know, your approach, you know, you did some surveys, I suspect, and then, and then you really dug into these the, the interviews, right?
1: Yeah, we wanted to, I mean, we needed to connect with some folks. The project was initiated by um, a Clear Roads representative from New York State, Mike Lashman. And um, New York State's got a really nice plan. And they've got a pretty organized, nicely structured way of responding, deciding when a severe Mm -hmm. emergency event is occurring and and responding to it. And I think Mike wondered, you know, I think he he scrutinized his own planning and said, you know, gosh, there's got to be a lot of other stuff out there that we could learn from. Mm -hmm. And so we really had to have a broad look at things because we didn't know really any of what was out there. So, yeah, we started with a survey. Just to get some responses, really, I mean, we got a little bit of information off the survey, uh-huh. but it was really to get a phone number and an email. Yeah, it was that like we could who, follow who's up. out there. It was like who's out there and who's ever even who has, you know, who will respond when I say, hey, emergency management, snow and ice, you know. And so we got, you know, I think 18 to 20 or so responses that were positive um, when we followed up with most of them. Um, they didn't really have anything written down. They said, this is how it's always been done. This is how we do it. We just know what to do. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas we had then a subgroup, a smaller group of states, I think it ended up being being seven or eight who had some written plans and some written documentation. And they had at least one person who they could, they could point to within their DOT, who was responsible for emergency operations during a, during a severe winter storm. So those were the ones we focused on to follow up with interviews. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that, you know, and, and it came through following up with them and, and some informal calls and emails, you know, that came out of that survey that then allowed us to set up interviews and we, and we set up, um, we went a, a little over an hour for most of them, uh-huh. um, and did, uh, seven interviews and, uh, and yeah, grabbed a, a, a ton of information. And the neat part about the interview process that I really liked, we, because we were able to review any written material that they had. They sent us Mm -hmm. um, the written material they had so we could review that beforehand. So I had kind of a standard set of questions that I was going to ask all of them across the board so I could have some comparison. But then I also had another set of questions that were responsive to their particular plan. And some of the things I saw in it that were either unusual or I needed clarification on. So yeah, the interviews were pretty lengthy. They were very mm-hmm. informative.
0: You know, I it's gotta be one of the keys is is to have somebody you can point to. You know, that, that's gotta be so important. You know, you in in, in all the meetings and, and everybody you talk to, it, it's all about turnover, you know, they're losing people, the the uh the institutional knowledge is walking out the door. And um, you know, I was talking with one, one district guy who was um they were having some severe flooding, mm-hmm. right? And um this was back in, in my DOT days. And it's just like we knew what to do because we had done it before. You know, his foremen were like five or 10 years of experience. They had never seen a flood before. So yeah. it's like if you don't, you know, at some point you've got to, you've got to institutionalize that knowledge, like through a, a written plan or a person.
1: Exactly. And in the, in the in the in the small group of of st- of states that had some documented plans um we had some on on one end of the spectrum that had a really well thought out they they've been thinking about this for at least 5 5 to 10 years mm-hmm. um there was only a few of those and and as the interview list you know went on we we got down to to in, uh states where there was a page or two that mm-hmm. really described that and, and when we started to ask, um, hey, you know, what we're seeing in some other states is that there's more. They've got this document that they've got a standard procedure for their, for their, um, the meetings that they have, um, to kick off the winter to, to just discuss and remind everyone of what would happen in an emergency. Folks are starting to do those things. And the response, a lot of the responses we got were, well, we all know what to do. And, yeah. and one of the things we pointed out was, um, well, you know, not, not even necessarily the turnover, but hey, it, it, that's great that you know what to do. You know, there are probably other states that could benefit from knowing what you know, mm-hmm. you know. So if you get that down on paper, yeah, you're not only institutionalizing it in case, in case, you know, back at UVM, we always use the in case I get hit by a bus, you know, who's going right. to know who's going to know what I was working on. But also, like you know, your neighboring states and and your partners can can benefit from what you already know, which was part of the point of this kind of project.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know the the um, <clears throat> you know that's a good point. You talk about neighboring states or or even neighboring agencies. You know these these events, these extreme events, like don't stop in a state line, right? No, no. And and there needs to be like this continuity that that carries across and. And, um, you know, being able to like have these defined stakeholders that, that, you know, you're going to have to work with, you know, my case in, in, uh, Northern Nevada on interstate 80 Uh is, you know, we could have the perfect road right up to the state line, but if California has lost honor summit, now their problem has become mine because where do all the trucks go? Yeah. You know, they, they end up in Reno. So, you know, being able to have some, some, uh, You know, emergency plans to to cooperate across those state lines became a big issue for us.
1: Yeah, especially where you have, um, you know, a a more densely populated area that might be right on the boundary of two states, which is very common. Mm -hmm. Um, Seeking help from your neighboring state or coordinating your response with your neighboring state is far more important than getting your resources from the far opposite end of your state, you know, to get yeah. b- back to this edge of your state. I mean, th- that could be a four hour travel uh, shed, whereas the neighboring states got resources that are an hour away. So right. yeah, having those relationships in place is important. And I think especially um, especially in the Northeast, we found that, that folks talk um, a lot more about sharing resources between states because Things are more dense and, mm-hmm. and um, it, it becomes more pressing. Whereas with some of the wider areas um, out west, it's not something they face as frequently as we do in the yeah, east. Yeah, well, the,
0: I mean the the I mean the geographical extent is yeah, you know, a lot bigger. It's different. Um, so so I guess one of the big takeaways is you really it would it's it's really good to have a person a, a, a emergency management coordinator. Within yeah. your agency. Right? And,
1: you know, it's yeah, and a really interesting story that <clears throat> I don't think makes it into the report is that um, we didn't choose Vermont at our home state as one of our interview candidates because we didn't have a well fleshed out plan. Um, but we do know all the folks that are involved with operations and maintenance in Vermont and we have a good relationship with them. And it turns out that before we were even finished with this project, um, Vermont hired out of the state um, Department of Emergency Management a new DOT uh, emergency manager. So, So the one person who was going to be the new Office of Emergency Management within the DOT was created during the... Oh. in our home state dur- uh-huh. during the uh during the pursuit of this project. So and we had been talking to them about you know what we were finding and what was important and they know that emergency operations and severe winter weather are important. So I think it I think it was just a a, a lucky coincidence
0: that those two things happened at the same time. Mm-hmm. What are some of the positive things that come out of having a person like that? What 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 do they do? What uh- They
1: for, I think they force you they force you to get cuz once they come in they're going to make sure things get those types of people are are write it down types of people they're not the type they're standard operating procedure types of people you know a lot of times they have background in um military or or emergency management type um organizations where hey this is the way we're going to do things and they get a lot of pushback you know they're mm-hmm. going to get some pushback and so they have to be um they have to say well this is you know this is what we need to do it can't just be this is how we've always done it and it'll get done. Don't worry about it. And, you know, you have to be careful. You don't want to make it sound threatening. You're not writing things down to to, to make it look like people are doing the wrong thing. You're writing things down, as we said, for institutional knowledge. Um, but, yeah, those people with the background in emergency management are are they're great to have. And once they come in, yeah, they want to get everything set in stone and then they force you to practice. Like we were right. talking about beforehand they 're practice people they do tabletop exercises they do, and you know a lot of uh, a lot of operations and maintenance folks haven 't seen that kind of thing before, so you 're asking them to come out sometimes you know some of them do that kind of thing um, for accident, you know like have a have a a traffic crash, a major traffic crash, tabletop exercise, or something like that, or a field exercise. Um, but folks aren't as used to it for snow and ice emergencies. And so that type of person, is that's going to be their job, is getting everyone ready and walking through some of these exercises. Mm-hmm. So without someone there, uh, there tends to be good practice, but not as much stuff is written down. And um, and the, I shouldn't say there tends to be good practice. There are good policies and procedures in place, but they're not out there practicing every year.
0: Uh-huh. Now... The, the plans that we're talking about here, it, it's not the snow plan. The, 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 the EOC plan is not the snow plan.
1: Correct. And in, for some of the states, like South Dakota, they put it in the snow plan. Mm-hmm. Which And it was an interesting discussion. Um, Pennsylvania, for example, um, where we interviewed uh, John Fleming, um, th- they keep it out of their snow plan. Because they they want to make sure it doesn't get sort of just blended and buried, you know. And they – like I think his words were something to to the extent that, um, you know, the snow plan, we get familiar with it. And then we don't always sort of come back to it frequently. But the emergency plan, it has to be a more active, dynamic, you know, document. And we've got to practice. And so, yeah. But the philosophy in South Dakota made sense to me too. I mean their philosophy was – Hey, look, it's part of snow and ice control. We're at, these are the procedures we do anyway if we get four inches of snow. We're just then initiating some new, you know, sharing and movements, you know, of staff and, and, and equipment right. and, and engaging state police and things like that. But it started as a snow and ice event. So this is where we want to have that planning. It kind of makes sense, too.
0: Yeah, I know, I know in our plans, you know, when you get into one of these really extreme events... And it's, it's hitting the fan. What, what happens is you need people to do things that like aren't necessarily in their job, everyday job right. description, right? So it's it's like you might need somebody to uh, a specific person to coordinate with the contractors. Yep. You know, and so in this plan, you might have it laid out that you're going to have a contractor liaison. Yeah. And it's going to be this person. And that person knows that that's what they're going to have to do in an emergency. And they've got this, you know, the book, if you will, the the policy or the procedure. The playbook. playbook. New York
1: State calls it their playbook. Right, the playbook.
0: And so when... When you do raise the flag or mm-hmm. sound the whistle or whatever, and say, "Okay, we've got an emergency," then that person knows that that's their additional responsibilities during. Yeah, the everybody emergency. knows
1: their job, yeah. and you know, um, it's it's funny because some of the sensitivity about um, there was also some sensitivity about sharing the plans because some of the some of the more well thought out plans. I mean, they've got phone numbers in them. They've got right. you know specific contact, and in many of these states, there are people who are. On call, so to speak, in the winter, and and you know it's not in their nine to five job. It is it is a real emergency response type position with those specific responsibilities that you describe. It could be at midnight they get the call, they have to start doing what they are supposed to be doing under the plan, and and yep. so yeah, it's it's um,
0: it's an important operation. The um, so what were what were some of the other big takeaways that, that you, that you came, you know, you, you know, you have the plan, uh, have a person, Mm -hmm. you know, that it's their job practice, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, the,
1: the idea of, we, we still ran into the, the idea of, well, you know, why do we need a a standard operating procedure for, for the agenda of the, of the pre-winter meeting? And, you know, there's, there's still a lot of, a lot of resistance to sort of like, how much do you really need to document? Do you really need a, a plan, a mapping of all the, the the phone numbers and who's going to do what? Um, and it was interesting to see there are other, other states where they're, they, they don't have that resistance at all. They want to get everything and as much as possible mm-hmm. down and planned and mapped out and then practice it. Um, so that kind of sort of like pre winter prep and, and then, you know, doing some practice exercises there was, some, there was some, uh, some folks that didn't do that and others that thought it was very valuable. The thing I think as a researcher taking away from the project that I found the most interesting was that, you know, again, we had certain um, DOTs whose Office of Emergency Management was headed up by someone with an operations and maintenance background, others who were headed up by someone with a um, Department of Emergency Management type background, and they're and, and what you heard them talk about what was important was very different. You know, yeah. the, the folks with the background in, in, in emergency management tended to talk about very top down. They tended to say when an emergency hits, you know, one office needs to be in control of all the resources in the state. And that is very and they and they gave examples of how how important that is and how it can become mm-hmm. a problem if if there are different missions and goals for each of the districts in the state. And there were other states who said completely the opposite. They said when an emergency hits, if a district doesn't tell us they're being overwhelmed, we assume they're not being overwhelmed and we don't start moving resources because we don't want to get in their way. I see. Both of them are good points. And, I, you know, from what I could see, they both have success using that type of approach, but it sounded so different uh-huh. that I, it was fascinating to see that because of their different backgrounds, the backgrounds of the individuals who were in that Office of Emergency Management, their philosophies were completely different.
0: You know, I I, I have to wonder if, if that isn't like driven by the political climate. Exactly. You know, if you have a commissioner that's very hands-on, yep. they're going to want that top-down yep. approach. And, yep. and, and if you've got one that's you know maybe comes from an operations background and knows those people are doing their thing as long as that information's getting fed up yep you know they're, yeah. they're okay with that
1: and uh and um John Fleming from Pennsylvania talked to, talked a lot about Pennsylvania as a commonwealth and I won't get too deeply into it but I guess that changes some of the governance structure of how things operate so you can have um you know, some states you can have municipalities that do also do some snow and ice control, and they can be coordinated with that state district. You might also have a county level um, uh, organization that's doing snow and ice control and, and needs to coordinate with the state. So, some of those things, some of the, so, yeah, some of it is just a sort of background and and yeah, political kind of, climate. Yeah, it's kind of the lay
0: of the land. Yeah, you know, this where is you're how at, we don't
1: yeah. we don't bother our neighbor unless our neighbor you know reaches out and asks uh-huh. for help, and it seems to work. So. Um, so yeah, there's there's a history to, to a lot of these types of operations.
0: You know, one of the um, one of the other things is you know, you, you can have these plans on how things will function within the agency and, and interagency, you know, from an interagency yeah. point of view. Um, but there's also this component that deals with the public, right? Yeah. And and I think there's some some emergency operations like points in dealing with yeah, there's, too, there, right? there
1: are, um, you know, within a lot of the offices, of, the, the, within a lot of the state departments of emergency management, you know, there are folks obviously um, responsible for communicating with the public. But that's really, you're talking about a one-way communication for the most part. Um, in, in the DOTs, they talk about um, that many, some of the more evolved um, emergency operations at, at our DOTs can do what they call a push and for example, um again I, I think it's in Pennsylvania and I think New York has this ability too. If if there's a roadway where um where things are really getting hairy and they're worried about the motorists on it, they can actually do a a text message that they can force into onto the phones of folks that are that are in a very specific mm-hmm. area. I'd never heard of that before. They just call it a push, and I guess it's a new service, new type of service. But it's an emergency message that goes to a region geographically. Um, so, yeah, those kinds of things are well mapped out in in, in some of these plans, and and uh, and are very important because you know, for example, in um, in the South Dakota plan, they they get very concerned about stranding motorists. Right. Um, they can close their interstates. And they have gates ready that they can use to close their interstates. And one of the thing one of the things they had to map out in their procedures was, if we close an interstate, we then have to go along that section and make sure we didn't leave anyone in there. That and and to us on the East Coast, that just seems like I, I've never heard of such a crazy thing. But <laughs> but it's a, it's a real yeah. problem, you know. And they've got long stretches between interchanges that they've got to really uh, make sure everyone's
0: safe. Well, and the other thing when it comes to dealing with the public is you're in the middle of a, a crisis, right? Yeah. An extreme event. And who comes knocking at your door? Channel 2. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and to have a plan on how you're going to deal with the media. Yeah. You know, do, do you have regular press briefings? Do you give them access to TMCs? Do you give them access to feeds? They want to talk to a boss, mm-hmm. you know. The, the, so the boss needs to know, hey, what to say. We're going to do interviews and and things like that. Yeah, so, and, the, and
1: those kinds of communications are going to affect what the public does. And you want yeah. you want people to moderate their need to travel in times like that if it's dangerous. And so you want to make sure the message goes out and is you know diplomatic and and sensible. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know when you're sort of up to your rear end in alligators, it's like the last thing the person wants to do is go out and, you know, do a stand up with the media. But, but um, you know, that that's an important part of this whole emergency response.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, know, and ironically um, that, that reminds me of, of the fact that um, when we started to hear about how as, as a weather event escalates into an, a severe or emergency level, um, how these sort of, E.O.C. type operations start to get initiated. Um, uh, uh, weather forecasters are actually brought in, you know, in coordination with state police and D.O.T. and and you know governors and office and stuff like that. Weather forecast is sometimes from the the, the TV stations are are some of the best weather forecasters you know that they've got, mm-hmm. and they bring them in to to help them forecast you know where the storm is going to hit and how intense it's going to be. So um, so those can be also a resource.
0: Right. And again, going back to the plan, if you've got, you know, all of these things lined out, the, the time to sort it out is when the skies are blue and right. the birds are singing, Some right? Time. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but you talk about these these uh, partners and these stakeholders. And, and um, I think one of the things that, that came out of the report was was the importance of these regional coalitions and yeah. and these partners and, and so on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I talked, uh, I mentioned earlier about information sharing. I mean, the, the the, the, the big impetus for this project and for a lot of these types of projects that Clear Roads and other consortia undergo is, Hey, there are States that are doing things that other States can benefit from knowing and understanding. So you try to get things, you know, the result of this project was a, was a, a, a loose structure of best practices. And so the idea is that, you know, others can benefit from that. And, um, so yeah they they you know the ideas we're trying to to um you know where we do have folks like the i ninety five corridor coalition and there are others um that that they're they're really all about sharing resources you know where mm-hmm. you have corridors or groups of states in Vermont we're a part of a tri state Vermont New Hampshire maine coalition that you know we have some of the same kinds of problems, so let's not have one of us get way ahead in understanding and 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 figuring it out and make sure we, we share that information um, which i think is in you know is is a tough thing to get around you know to say hey we've worked hard and gotten this understanding and maybe you feel a little bit protective of that mm-hmm. information but you can really help your neighboring states and 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 coalitions are a great way to do that because coalitions are again kind of force everyone to get together and do things like the, the I-95 quarter coalition has organized a few different snow and ice information sharing sort of workshops. Mm-hmm. And so different state folks can come together in the same place and talk about what they've done. Those are always good venues for information sharing. And the yeah. coalitions are great for that. Yeah,
0: right? I know one of the big initiatives out of the... Um, the Sharp Two program, you know, the reliability thing was yeah. the development of these uh, incident management coalitions, the Tim coalitions. Yeah, you know, and and I think the the time to build again, the time to build these relationships are when the skies are blue and the birds are singing, right? Not when you're standing out, you know, next to a patrol car in right. a blizzard, right? <clears throat> right. So, um, you know, reaching in or reaching out and and you know, talking to these folks about how how you're going to do business when the business gets tough is, is like such a key building those relations. It's just like you mentioned earlier about having agreements in place ahead of time. Yeah. You know, um, all of this, this preparatory work, you know, and maybe you don't have an extreme event this winter, but, but sure shooting, if you're not prepared, you will, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and the, uh, the EMACs are great for that. Having, you know, uh, even just a simple uh, memorandum of understanding about what, how you're going to ask for help, mm-hmm. you know, if you do have to ask for help and, and how resources might be shared. Um, all of the states talked about when they move resources within the state, because some of our states in Clear Roads, moving resources within the state can be an eight-hour trip.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're technically, um, their staff is on travel. You know, so they've just realized, oh, you know, we've got policies for travel. Let's just let's just implement our policies for, you know, lodging and expense and and stuff like that. But you don't see as much of that from state to state where they've institutionalized how they're going to how they're going to work that out if, if staff and equipment from one state are going to actually go help another state. Oh yeah. Yeah. How, how, how is that contractually going to be worked out? There's some details there. There's insurance. There's, you know, coverage of the staff and the equipment. There are some things yeah. that you really have to think about.
0: Liability rules. Yeah. 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 So you, uh, you did so, so sort of to, to wrap this up a little bit, you did, um, uh, six case studies. I think it was six. I think it was yeah. six. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the uh, reports are all on the Clear Roads website, and, and yeah. what we'll do is we'll post uh, links to uh, to them, and we'll post a link. If you don't mind, we'll put your your uh, contact information uh, out there. So, yeah, that sounds great. If and if, if, if folks have additional questions or want to want to pick your brain a little bit, um, they'll they'll have a, a point of contact. To do yeah, that.
1: that would be great. Yeah,
0: any any like big epiphanies big takeaways that uh you sort of came across uh, you know
1: I, um it was fun doing interviews and case study type approaches was 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 funner than i thought it would be uh-huh. you know as a researcher as someone who who crunches numbers most of the time um i really enjoyed talking to all these folks and uh and and you know it just it it creates relationships that you're able to keep and, and, uh, really value. Yeah.
0: Well, and you know, as a, as a group, as, as a, as an industry, if you will, uh, no more dedicated folks will you find, the best, yeah. um, you know, maybe, maybe in, on the fire side or the police side, but they're, they're definitely there with this first responder mentality of, yes. yeah. of making things better and getting it done, you know? Yep. Yep. And it's just a matter of ta- like taking it to the next level. And, exactly. You know, yeah. write it down and practice. Yep, yep. That's a so. great takeaway. <laughs> write it down and practice. Yeah. Well, Jim, thanks so much for for being on Psychop Talks Winter Ops. It was a pleasure to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Rick.
0: And uh, thanks to all the listeners out there for listening.